Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, as we look how God breaks into our lives and invites us towards His purpose and His direction for His body, the church, both as His people and as persons. See, Transfiguration Sunday is coming up, and it is the starting point for our journey into the Lenten season, into Resurrection Sunday, which we call Easter. And as all journeys begin, it begins with the first step. And for us, that step is up the mountain where God breaks into our lives through his transformational presence. And we, we sang about that presence this morning. And it's by his spirit that we journey with Christ from the mountaintop into the valley of suffering that leads to the cross and out the empty tomb in our resurrected hope. This is a journey with an invitation from God. Imagine that. The creator of the universe invites us to journey with him. And he breaks into our lives as we start this journey with Jesus from the mountaintop into the valley and to the cross. And on this journey, we embrace our humanity. We embrace our weakness while preparing our hearts for Christ's sacrifice through repenting, repenting and reorienting ourselves in God that we may experience the fullness of resurrected hope, the empty tomb that we may reveal to the world what it looks like to be resurrected, redeemed and a reconciled people. Yet the journey of a thousand miles from the mountaintop also begins with a single step that leads to another step that leads to another. For the Christian, this step from our mountaintop experiences can only be in one direction, a direction that leads us into the valley to embrace the passion, the calls for suffering and, and the cross, which allows us to live in the hope and the realization that true life for us begins now, begins today. We don't have to wait. It begins now if we will surrender and embrace it because Christ has victory over death and victory in the empty tomb. And this first step is another invitation by God that allows us that would embrace and follow Jesus as his disciples. You see, God doesn't lead us into the valley of the shadow of death with nothing nor for nothing. He prepares us, shapes us, and gives us everything we need by renewing our spirits, reinforcing Christ in our lives, and refocusing us on the mission of Jesus and his church. These renewing, reinforcing, and refocusing experiences become our defining moments. It's in these instances that, that it's all is right in the world. And God has never been so close and alive in our souls and and these are what we call our mountaintop experiences. When all is right with us and God and us and us, and our hearts and eyes are open to a new reality we didn't even realize existed. So what is it about the mountaintop that we find so attractive? And I don't just mean the mountain climber that likes to scale a mountain just to go ahead and conquer it. But what about the magnetisms that mountains hold for us? We talk about mountaintop experiences, don't we? We go to camps. We, we go to, uh, gosh, vacations. We, we do all these things and, and we go, we had this mountaintop experience. But what is it about those experiences that make, us so make it so special? Is I wonder if it's because we have this cosmetology that says God is like way distant and up in heaven. And if we can scale a mountain, we can just be closer to him. But we all know it's not just mere altitude that does it. I stood in the Owens Valley, looked up at Mount Whitney. I've hiked Yosemite. And I've been so far into the Shasta National Forest that there's ceased to have any 
human existence that is recognizable. Each place shared a space in my heart and amazement that touched my soul. And perhaps it's our mountaintop experience is just that, that separation from our normal worldly experience. Perhaps it's the ruggedness and, of a mountain terrain or the wild and wilderness of, of the surroundings that remind us that the world is made by God, that we are not in charge. He is. And we didn't create all this. He did. Or perhaps that we stand on the mountaintop and we can look down and see laid out before us and realize just how small our part in the world is in comparison to the bigger reality. Mountaintop experiences are humbling. But whatever it is, the mountaintop has always had a special place in the human experience. And regardless of the culture and region of the world, every society holds mountains as a sacred space. A place of solitude and meditation, a place to, to seek the face of God. And mountaintop was a place where God showed Abraham the land of Canaan and all that he could see would be inherited by his descendants. The mountaintop is where Abraham was taken to reveal his faith by potentially sacrificing his son Isaac. It was a place where Moses first encountered God and where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And it was a place where Moses caught a glimpse of God and, and a place where Elijah was restored and renewed and reassured that God was still with him and had not forsaken him. And it is here in our passage today that we get to see Jesus going on the mountain with three of his disciples to encounter the glory of God. You see, we all have our mountaintop experiences, both literally and figuratively. Sometimes we call them the good old days, the golden years, the years of our youth, the, maybe that season spent in college or when we first fell in love. Maybe it was having children or getting married or, along with that, just being broke. <laughs> or when you stop trying to be someone or something you were never created to be. Perhaps it was that new job, career, or adventure or even retiring into those golden years. It's in these seasons of life that God breaks into our lives and the colors are brighter and we're overflowing with the graces and, and love of God's presence when all is well with our souls. And God is really good. And he's really good all the time. And it's when those times when Jesus does make all the difference. And it's in these times that we struggle and endure to... And we don't give up. And we see the fruit of God as a reality around us. And we feel most alive and, and close to God. And we never want that to stop. It's when we're renewed through and through. And God reinforces Christ as the center of our lives. And we refocus on the mission of Jesus and his church and our hearts. And these are the mountaintop experiences that we take with us, that shape us, that give us purpose and direction. These are the transformational moments that we take with us for the rest of our lives if, if, if we're willing to surrender, if we're willing to surrender to God breaking into our lives. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
He didn't really know what he was saying, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Transfiguration has been fascinating scholars for centuries because it seems to stand so uniquely in the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels are those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called Synoptic because they have so many texts uh, in common. And the, the narrative and the context that surrounds this mountaintop experience illustrates not only the power of God, a glimpse of our resurrected hope that is to come, the good news of eternal life, a foreshadowing of Christ's death, the affirmation of the divine nature of Jesus as a Messiah, but there's more. It also gives us imagery into the life we are to live as his followers. Listen to him rings significantly in the text and into our hearts. And it's through the grace of God that we are given free will. Or better yet, freed will. To respond to the salvific gift of Jesus. Yet for those that follow Jesus, it starts with a response to a question. Who do you say that I am? Discipleship is a, is a journey of grace that Jesus with Jesus that begins when we fully recognize, before we even fully recognize him as our Savior and our Lord. And this is part of our mountaintop spiritual experience because it's a defining moment that God uses to shape and mold us. When we journey back into the valley, following Jesus and living out his mission in the world through our local context, we see it begins with a confession. All the transfiguration accounts in Scripture are tied to Peter's declaration at Caesarea Philippi that we see in Mark 8, 29. And it's here that Jesus and his disciples begin the journey to Jerusalem to fulfill his mission at the cross. Because it is then at this declaration at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus sees that his disciples get it. They finally get it. You guys understand who I am? Who do you say that I am? And they confess that he is the Messiah. The world may not understand yet, but those that are close to him get it. They get it. And Jesus is the Messiah. He is the prophecy-fulfilling chosen one. He is the Savior of humanity. And like our journey of faith, it begins with the confession when we realize the, come to the realization that Jesus is the Savior, when we begin to get it, even when we don't quite understand, but we're getting it. Even when not everyone around us understand why we begin to get it. And in following Peter's declaration and confession, we, read the first, we read, start reading the first of Jesus' passion statements. And through the passion statement, the realization that Jesus is the Savior is revealed as just the beginning of a new life that invites us. Again, it, God invites us to ascend the mountain with Christ to experience God breaking into our lives. You know, in Mark 8, 34 through 35, Jesus states, if anyone wants to be my followers, they can deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those that want to save their life will lose it. And those that lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. This four echoes. It echoes forward the confession of the Father at the top of the mountain that states, listen to him. 
Gosh, we have so much cotton in our ears these days. Listen to him as a proclamation that the life of the follower of Christ is not one of consumerism, rather of self-giving. That to gain life, we lose it. And to lose it for the sake of a gospel, for the sake of our God, we gain it. For the sake of the gospel. For the gospel is more than the good news. It is good news in flesh. And when we lose our life for the gospel, we are shedding our sinful identity and taking on and clothing ourselves with the life of Christ. As a body of Christ, the church universal, globally, around, from the beginning into eternity, we are to be representatives of the gospel to the world. And it begins with a confession and invites us to enter a life that continues the mission of Jesus. And Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and he leads them high up to the mountain where they are all alone. And scripture doesn't indicate which mountain it is, but most scholars agree it's one of two mountains in the region because of the proximity of Caesarea Philippi. It's either Mount Hermon with its year-round snowy peaks, or it's Mount Tiber, which is also referred to as a pimple in the desert. But perhaps the location is secondary to the significance of the divine human encounter. Maybe this explains why mountaintop experiences, all of us have our own mountaintop experiences, and they're all so diverse because it's when God breaks into our lives. And that's a very personal and, and intimate and intimidating thing. And it's unique between God and his people, between God and his persons. And on the mountaintop, Luke tells us that while Jesus is praying, he's transfigured before them, that his face begins to show, shine and his clothes become a dazzling white. And the implication is that this is the manifestation of the glory of God in Jesus. It's reinforcing his divinity. And the implication is further that Jesus' face is shining, that it's the same type of shine that Moses experienced when he was speaking to God in the tabernacle during the Exodus. The bright clothes are a sign of purity and God's glory, like the description of angels in various places. It's a manifestation of God's own holiness. And the three disciples are given a glimpse, ever so brief, but a brief glimpse of the reality beyond anything any human has ever experienced. And a hint of the true nature of Jesus that they've only just recently proclaimed as the Messiah. Here on the mountaintop, like... Like the disciples, we also are renewed. And God reinforces the authority of Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives as we refocus our lives and our purpose and our direction towards God and what he would have for us. See, throughout Scripture, the, the mountain is a place to encounter God, encounter God. And for some of our mountaintop experience, this is a season of life or, or time of great insight. It doesn't have to be a mountain. I mean, it could be the ocean. It could be your morning cup of coffee. It could be your daily devotional. The mountain is the place that God renews our hearts and speaks boldly and clearly to us. It's when we are most moldable, like clay, receiving the fullness of the, of the master potter, potter's creative genius. You see, the word transfiguration is only found four times in the New Testament. In the Greek, it's called metamorphio, and it's literally transformed literally translated as to change or, or to transform. We see the transfiguration in the Gospels of, of Matthew and Mark in reference to Jesus, but we also see it in Romans in 12.2, the be transformed, metamorphio, by the renewing of your mind. We see it in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror or being transformed, metamorphio, transfigured, into the same image from one degree of glory 
to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. See, the transfiguration of Jesus is the same word that we, us, person next to us, myself, person next to us, as his followers are to take upon ourselves as we follow him. We are to be transformed. We are to be metamorphio, more into his likeness, more into his image, more to reveal him in the world in both our words and our deeds. Amen. And when God, amen, and when God breaks into our lives, he renews us to a life that reflects more of Jesus. And it's not just a renewal to reveal more of me, but Christ in me. Amen. I didn't, amen. God doesn't want any more Jason. He'll use Jason by the spirit, his spirit within me. And the same with each one of us in this room. See, all of us as Christ's followers need the reassurance and the renewal that, that fills our hearts to let us know we are on the right path, that we are discerning accurately God's will for us that is correct. And the renewal that happens on the mountaintop is significant, but it also resets us more firmly in the fellowship with other believers through community. We realize we're not alone and additionally establishes the community and fellowship with God. But we got to share these experiences. And that's why it's so important that we maintain constant fellowship with one another because otherwise the doubts and the fears and the pressures of the world wear away at us. And, and those who doubt the truth of the gospel, some who you will even find in the Christian church begin to wear away at our own faith. We need to be reminded consistently and frequently of the God that came and died for us, of, of his lordship over death and his victory over death. We need to be reminded we're serving him and serving him is worth any price. And the mountaintop seems to be the place where we are most open to God and his guidance in our lives. And it's in these moments we find renewing and reorienting our soul more in his direction. The transformation, the transfiguration, metamorphio, we begin to hunger, we begin to thirst, to be filled with and overflowing with the graces of God's joy, love, and spirit in our lives. And our hearts become a wellspring from an eternal source. And we no longer are worshiping ourselves. We no longer are relying on our own energy. But we're leaning, learning to lean more and more and rely upon God. Amen. And it's because of the mountaintop. God breaks into our lives, but we need to listen to him. My old football coach used to say, take the cotton out of your ears, McEachern. Listen, we are not only renewed, but God reinforces the authority of, of Jesus as Lord and Savior in our lives. And on the mountaintop, Jesus gathers and God does not keep silent for it is time of reinforcing the authority of Jesus as both Savior and Lord of our lives. See, these gospel writers offer this brilliant, get it? Transfiguration, dazzling clothes, face, never mind. Brilliant account of the fullness of who Jesus is. It's the worst joke I've ever told. <clears throat> but Matthew, and the gospel's no joke. Uh, Matthew twenty two forty after the great commandment, and this is, this is going to rock your world. Uh, great commandment of loving God neighbor. Jesus says this. On these two commandments hang, is it some of the law and prophets? What is the word? All. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Not just a couple of the law, not a couple of the prophets, not one or two. All, complete, entirety, 100%. All the eggs are in one basket. On these two commandments of loving God and loving neighbor hang all the law and the prophets. 
And this is significant, especially in relation to this text and especially in relation to our life and our salvation history. Amen. On the top of the mountain, Jesus is glorified and is, tra- and is transfigured and is clothed, uh, is clothed in this divine radiance, holiness and glory. And it showed to change himself in the fullness of God and purity of God's divine presence. And it's in his glory that we find him in conversation with Elijah and Moses. And here's the significant part. The significance is that it comes as Elijah is a representation of all the prophets. All right. And then Moses is a representation of the Torah, which is all the law. And so in here, you have the love of God in conversation with all the law and all the prophets. In fact, it's Christ who fulfills all the law, all the prophets, and they're together right now, and Christ is transfigured. See, all the law and all the prophets are represented on that mountaintop experience. And these two commandments, in these two commandments of the law and the prophets, all, uh, in these two commandments hang all the law and prophets, and, the mountain is, and on this mountain all the law and all the prophets are represented. See, Jesus is the love of God, and in him... In Christ, it fulfills all the law and all the prophets. And these become both witnesses out of the Old Testament that validate the new covenant between God and humanity through Jesus. And further, the conversations we see from Luke's account reveals that they weren't just speaking about the weather or uh, the heavenly fairways golf courses. They're talking about salvation history. As Jesus is moving toward the cross in Jerusalem with all that will come at the triumphant entry. Additionally, these two ancients represent the continuation of the kingdom of God with Jesus now and the continuation of Jesus God, that, the kingdom of God with Christ that is to come at his second coming. For the kingdom of God literally breaks into the reality before the eyes of Peter, James, and John. I can't even imagine. I can't even begin to wonder what they saw, but I look forward to it. Because we will experience what they experience for just a brief second. No doubt we can't help but see the, the covenantial correlation of the authority of Jesus as the word of God whose blood is to be poured out as a new covenant for the forgiveness of sin. And the Old Testament covenant of law of Moses as, received, as he received that on a mountaintop as well. And, and we see the correlation between Moses with the brilliance of the Lord when he received the law that was written on tablets of stone. And here we see Jesus affirmed in his divinity on the mountaintop, transfigured, brilliant, set to fulfill all the law and all the prophets in the new covenant with God, the word made flesh, not written on tablets of stone, but written on the hearts of humans. And of course, the disciples have this awe-inspired reaction of not knowing what to say, and our mountaintop experiences do that to us. They reinforce the authority of Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives. And these experiences, and in them we are left speechless and on, finding ourselves living each second of each moment as God breaks into our lives to give us purpose and direction. You see, these mountaintop experiences reflect or refocus our hearts on the mission of Jesus and his church. Remember, we begin with a confession. And then understanding of what's required of following Jesus. And on the mountaintop, we encounter God in a real and tangible way. We are shaped, we are formed, we are molded, and we begin to grow more in his grace. And this experience isn't one and done, but it's an ongoing thing that happens the rest of our lives. Yet the problem with any mountaintop experience is that we don't want them to end. 
And when they do, sometimes we throw a fit, or maybe we just sit down and we pout, or we just dream that if we could just go back up to the mountain, if we could just relive into that one more time. And we begin to look backwards instead of forward and in the present moment with God. Because when our mountaintop experiences are over, we have to come back to this. I don't know what your this is. I've got my this. But sometimes I wish I didn't have this and I just want this to go away. I want to go back to the mountain. We want the mountaintop to last forever. Even the disciples didn't want their own mountaintop experience to end. They want to perpetuate it forever and ever. And although we see the disciples didn't know what to say and, and they were terrified, leave it to Peter to break the silence, right? And I can imagine Peter saying something like this. Um, hey guys, Moses, good to see you. Elijah, a lot taller than I imagined. Jesus, you're looking brilliant. Um, since we're all here, can we get you size some tents, like three tents? And Peter wasn't saying that he wants them to take the meeting inside. He's not saying that, that maybe they need a nap. He is saying, stay with us. Don't leave us. Don't take your presence from us. Make this your home. Make staying with us here, now, forever your home. It wasn't foolish chatter from a nervous disciple. Peter was hoping that by erecting these dwellings that God will once again tabernacle and dwell with his people just like he did in Exodus when God tented with the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Peter was asking and wanting to stay in the presence of God and have the presence of God to fill just like it did in, as he read the Torah. And he didn't want that mountaintop experience to end. And we do the same thing. Ask anybody who's ever taken a child to an amusement park and left a little early. It's, it's ugly. It's not fun. It's in the very nature of, of us as humans to perpetuate the good stuff, to hold on to the highs of life, to, to find those times of comfort, to have the fun, to have the celebrations. And like Peter, we don't want to journey back into the valley, back into the shadow of a suffering, of pain, of death, and loneliness, of covid no one desires to seek out the dryness of the wilderness over the infilling of the mountain. And this is the hard work of discipleship. To take those mountaintop experiences that we have and those lessons and take them back and to apply them in the valley. To share them in a community, to share them with each other. And remember, there are nine other disciples that were not on that mountain and they're just waiting in the valley for the rest to return. And these three are to share with them and reveal their experience to the benefit of the kingdom of God and all the community of believers at the appropriate time. And we, as followers of Jesus, are called to do the exact same thing. When we desire to go back to the glory days and the good times, we forget two things. First, is that we need to share our experiences with others. And second, that mountaintop experiences give us everything we need to travel into the valley. And that's the beauty of the sacred invitation that God has, is to experience this transformation on the mountaintop and then journey with him through this life. A life that requires journeying with him through the valley. And sometimes we don't even realize how awesome the mountain was until we realize how cruddy the valley can be. But it is in this mountaintop that God gives us every single thing that we need in our life and love as we journey with Christ and his body as a fellowship of believers, as a community. And if we hold back from that, if we decide that we don't want to share that, we are not only hurting ourselves, but we're also hurting our brothers and sisters, 
We're hurting our community and not living into the purpose and direction that God would have for us. You see, after Peter asked if he could set up tents, the presence of God descended upon the mountain. Imagine this, the whole weight of heaven and eternity and the authority of God rests upon and envelops Jesus. And once that happens, a voice is heard. And this voice casts a new light on the event, a voice that affirms Jesus' authority, puts a word of God, Jesus, the word of God, above the law and the prophets, above Moses and Elijah. Mark 9, 7 uh, opens our hearts to hear the voice of God coming down as well. And these are the same words that we hear the last time we see the Trinity still represented uh, fully in Scripture at the baptism of Jesus, but there's something new. This is my son, the beloved, and now we have a new phrase. Listen to him. In the Hebrew, listen to him is translated more importantly as obey. In other words, God is saying, this is my son. Obey him. Meaning, make the journey to the cross with him. Or don't stay on the mountaintop forever. Go into the valley and follow him in obedience on the way to the cross and through the empty tomb. You see, when God breaks into our lives, he gives us purpose. He gives us direction. And he gives us a message of life and salvation, which invites us to go with Jesus to Jerusalem, to the suffering, to experience the passion to the cross and the other side of our resurrected hope. When we enter into the valley, we walk with Jesus. We follow Jesus. But when we enter into the valley, we do not take our own path. And we do not tell Jesus to follow us. The life of the Christian is seen through the transfiguration events of grace to be filled and then poured out in Trinitarian love for the sake of the gospel so that all may be saved. Not just one, not just two, but God wants every single human that you encounter to know him, to save them, to love them, regardless of how you feel about them. God loves them. To be filled and poured out. And we are to bear witness to the cross and the resurrection when God breaks into our lives because it is in the being his followers, his disciples, that gives us purpose and gives us direction, that gives us the very life that we have. And you cannot separate the come and see mountaintop experience from the valley any more than you can separate the cross from the empty tomb. So brothers and sisters, hold fast to the lessons of the mountaintop. Apply them in the community as we live our life of following Jesus together and live out the mission of Jesus, which is our mission as his people, as his bride, as his beloved, as his church. See, we respond to God breaking into our lives. As we respond to this, during this, this next week, I just ask you a couple of things. And I, some of you have notes. If you don't have notes, a notepad, they're on the bottom of it. But share your insights, small groups, with your family or whatever, to these three questions. But share them with someone. What lessons have you learned from your own mountaintop experiences? How can you apply the lessons as you follow Christ through the valley? Are you following Jesus or are you demanding that Jesus follow you? From the revealing of Christ at the mountaintop, we will respond to God's invitation to journey with Jesus toward the cross, enter the valley, recognize our human condition, and learn to empty our lives as God fills us with the fullness of life through his spirit. Would you please stand to receive a blessing? And if you could just stick your hands out like you're getting a bunch of Skittles or whatever kind of candy you like and you don't want to drop any, you got to hold tight. May you listen to the voice of God, be filled with his grace, and pour yourself out 
May you journey up the mountain and experience God breaking into your life so that you can share with others as we journey together as his beloved with Christ through the valley and into the mission field. Amen. You are sent.